If you would please find Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. The scripture won't be projected this morning. I, I like for you to be looking in your Bibles. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be studying verses 14 through 16 this morning. I'll give you a second to find Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 14. So this is our final Sunday in this Be the Light sermon series where we've been looking at passages and the Bible about the light and the darkness. And we're getting ready. Our culture is going to be celebrating Halloween coming up. It's one of the darkest and most beloved holidays in our culture. And it's really good to go into that as Christians, knowing what the Bible says about the darkness and the light. This is the passage where the, the title of the series came from, Be the Light, Being the Light. This is the passage where Jesus teaches us that we are the light as Christians. So I'd like to begin just by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. This is Jesus speaking to a group of his followers in the midst of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the lengthiest discourse we have recorded that Jesus gave in all the Bible. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I'd like you to pray with me and let's ask God to speak to us this morning. Let's ask God for receptive hearts. Would you bow with me? Father, I believe, based on my time with you in this word, that what you want to do among us this morning is remind us who we are and energize us to go and be who we are. I know that in this sanctuary right now, there are things on our minds that are apart and separate from this particular truth that we are the light called to shine. But I know that this is the passage that you've brought to us today. So please speak to us. Father, please empower me through your Holy Spirit to serve well in these few minutes to proclaim your truth and explain your word effectively so that it can go and, and accomplish its purposes in your people. May those among us who are bound in the darkness be freed by the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. May we all be engaged in the glorious calling and walk out of here shining more brightly filled with genuinely good works that cause all the people around us to give glory to you. I just confess humbly that the only way these things can happen is if you do them in our hearts. So we look to you now. We humbly look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. So I'll give you the sermon in a sentence before we dig in. The sermon in a sentence you are meant to shine 
by doing good works that glorify God. You are meant to shine by doing good works that glorify God. Now, I know that first phrase, you are meant to shine, sounds like a cliche verse from a cheesy contemporary Christian song, but there's real meaning to it. We as Christians are meant to shine, to be bright lights in a dark world by doing good works that glorify God, our Father. So let's take that bit by bit looking into our Bibles here. You are meant to shine. We are meant to shine. Look at the first bit of verse 14. Jesus speaking to people who would be his followers says, you are the light of the world. It doesn't say you ought to be the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world. Whether or not you realize it, whether or not you are acting as though it's true, if the world is going to have light, it is going to have light because Jesus' followers are shining. We are it. We are the light. If you watch the news or listen to the news on the radio or read the news in the newspaper, if anybody still does that, read the news on your computer, you've probably been like me and at points been overcome with just the darkness of the world, with all the death and all the disease and all the crime, bizarre, vicious crime that goes on and all the terror. And you've probably felt like turning to God if you haven't actually done this and said, God, it is dark down here. We need you. We need light. There is a depth of darkness of evil among us as humanity that is astounding. Where are you? We need you to shine the light in this situation. Now, if we were able to have that conversation with God face to face, I feel like based on this passage, he would patiently, because he's our father, sort of grab us by the shoulders and look us in the eyes and say, you are the light. You are the light of the world. I have done something. I have given Jesus Christ, the true light, into the world who enlightens every man. And through him, I've brought you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I've set you on a lampstand to be the light of the world. So when you see this darkness, know that in a very real sense, that's your responsibility. You are the light. In the darkness of death and crime and terror, you are the light. In the darkness of what we see when we flip the channels looking for something to watch. Have you ever been looking for something to watch and station after station just been shocked by the darkness of what we're entertained by these days? You know, we, ha- we don't really flip the channels when the kids are in the room because we don't know what's going to flash up next. In the darkness of politics, in the darkness of some of the, the darkest Facebook posts you might see on your news feed. I, f- I have some Facebook friends of mine that I love dearly, but who are just completely lost in the darkness. And man, the, the vile things that they post for all to see on Facebook are astounding to me. And, you know, in the darkness of all this in our culture... We are the light. In the darkness within our families and the people that we're worried about and the darkness in the conversation among our coworkers at work, the darkness of our culture, we are the light. And lights are meant to shine. Look back in your Bible as he goes on in verse 14. You are the light of the world. 
And then he gives two images to help explain what he means. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So he gives these two images to help us understand what he means by the fact that we're the light, a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand. So the city on the hill image is, you know, in a darkened landscape, you know, perhaps you're lost in the woods trying to find your way in a darkened landscape there on a hillside, you see the bright glow of a city and, and therefore you see hope and you, and you see direction, you see a place to go. That's sort of what Christians are as the light. Another way to look at it is a lamp. You know, all of our lights are, you know, they're up in the ceiling, they're hanging down in prominent places. You know, I don't have a light that's up under here in the inside of my pulpit. Because why would I? What good would that do me? We put our lamps on lampstands. We put our lights up where they can shine and illuminate the whole room. Have you ever wondered why God, when he saves a Christian, doesn't just automatically whisk them up into heaven? Advent Christian doctrine aside, why doesn't he just just rescue us up from it and be done with, with it for us? Just pluck us up. It's because we serve a very important function here still. So he, he doesn't pluck us up into the heavens. He plucks us up and sets us in our families or in our workplace or in our state, country, um, in, in our place in history where we have access to all sorts of technologies to communicate the gospel across the world. He sets us up there so that we can be the light. That's why you're still here. I mean, he loves you. He's looking forward to being with you and you glorifying him in person for eternity. But there's a job for us to be doing in the meantime. We're light bulbs right now. So we're meant to be prominently, um, prominently placed light bulbs, you know, illuminators in the world that is dark. How are we supposed to do this? Let's keep reading what he says. We'll start back at 14. Repetition is the mother of learning. So we're going to read starting back at 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. So what's visible when Christians are operating properly out in the dark world? It's not our holiness and it's not even our happiness. It's our good works. Now that to me, if I'm reading it, you know, trying to step back and read it as though I've never read it before, is kind of surprising our good works are, are the glow. That's the photons that shoot out of the Christian life is good works here in this passage. Now, this is surprising to me because I am always on guard about preaching good works to you because I know how dangerous good works can be for church folks. I know how easily we can slip on our robe of good works and feel secure like we're good people. And therefore God's going to accept us because we've done good things and done good deeds. And how quickly good works can eclipse the gospel. Because the gospel is not do good works and the Father will then love you. 
The gospel is you're incapable of doing good works. You're so messed up by sin. So God sent Jesus Christ to save you. And after he saves you, then you're reconfigured and recreated and made new and able to do the good works you were always meant to do. So I've always been hesitant to encourage you to do good works because I know in our particular culture, they can be really dangerous. But here Jesus says, this is the glow. This is the glow that we have as Christians, our good works. I want to read you another passage to really make this clear. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are very famous verses, especially if you've ever taken any uh, like evangelism classes or anything. These are some go-to verses to explain the gospel. But verse 10 is very important. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8. For by grace, grace is when you're giving a blessing that you didn't earn. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, through trust, through belief. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. No one in here who is a Christian is a Christian because of something they did. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so that's a pretty famous couple of verses. But not everybody reads on to the next verse. So right now we have the gospel in a nutshell. We are saved, praise God, by grace. It's a gift. It's not anything that we earned. We didn't do it. It was given to us through Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you're not saved by your works. You're saved by Jesus's works so that you can start to work. Okay, so this is where good works comes into Christianity. So what are these good works? Well, Jesus doesn't here really define what he means by good works. And it's a, if you trace the phrase good deeds and good works through the scripture, it's a pretty nuanced idea. It's a lot richer than just volunteering for charities. Uh, it, it encompasses really all of you and who you are. So it's, it's hard for me to just say, it's this, it's... Um, you know, giving to the person standing on the side of the road with the cardboard sign. Well, that might be a good work or it might not be a good work. It's just a very nuanced idea. It takes walking in the spirit to know in any given moment. But I, did, I do have a working definition for you. Based on my study of the scripture, I think that we can define good works as Jesus means here as ways and works that honor God by helping people. Ways and works that honor God by helping people. And I say ways because it's not always actions. Um, sometimes it's ongoing activities, ongoing just ways of being. So ways and works that honor God by helping people. Or working for the good of people by glorifying God. It's these two ideas. God and people. Honoring God, helping people. 
glorifying God, good of people. So, for example, it's living your life on the basis of the fact that I'm saved, I'm blessed, I'm recreated in Jesus Christ. Therefore, what good can I do? Because I'm saved and I'm forgiven and I'm cleansed and I'm given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, I'm spiritually rich. What good can I do that would honor God and help people? Now that encompasses everything. If you have that mindset of what good can I do? Meredith, I was joking with her that I was going to make it into a bracelet. What good can I do? What would that be? W-G-C-I-D. W-G-C-I-D. It's not as catchy as W-W-J-D. Meredith told me not to even say it, but here I am. What, did it, what was it? What good can I do? W-G-C-I-D. You guys are going to remember it, I know. It's living with that mindset. I, I am taken care of in Jesus Christ, and now I'm free to shine through good works. So what good can I do? And that, that affects everything. It, it, you know, as I was studying this, I was trying to begin to be more aware of this, and it even affected the way I operated between the time I parked my car in the Costco parking lot and walked in the door. I actually picked up the litter on my way from my car to the door at Costco and threw it away. That's just, I don't do that. I just don't even notice it usually, but that's just a very, that's like down on the very lowest level notch. But it's an example to show that it really affects everything, even how you walk through a parking lot. What good can I do? Because I'm so free by the gospel. I don't have to be consumed with my anxieties or myself. I'm free to serve people. I'm free to pick up that trash and put it in the trash can. I'm free to, when I hear the news, when I'm back in my car and I hear about, you know, whatever across the world darkness is going on, I'm free to actually think, well, what good can I do in relation to that? Well, of course I can pray. Maybe I can be a little bit more generous to fund missionaries to go. Maybe I should consider going. Maybe I should do a little research to see what Christians here can do to help those in darkness there. I'm free to actually do something. You, you research good deeds and good works through the scripture and some things pop up over and over again as examples. One is giving. Giving is usually associated scripturally with good works. Being open-handed with your stuff and your wallet and your pocketbook. You know, one good avenue that we have here for you to give is to the deacons fund. The deacons then use that to help pay bills for folks who can't pay those bills. And 10% of what you give to the deacons fund goes to crisis assistance ministry. They are, by the way, our main partner for uh, more charitable work. We go once a month and volunteer there. You know, that sort of work for those in need is scripturally considered good deeds and good works. Just the day-to-day kindness to people that we know who are in need. That is considered good deeds and good works. The way we love one another as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and daughters within our family, scripturally, is tied to good deeds and good works. The way we use our homes for hospitality in the Bible is tied to good deeds and good works. But even more all-encompassing The Sermon on the Mount, I think if you would study Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount, you would see the depth to which this goes. It affects how you mourn. It affects how you uh, deal with people who treat you badly. 
It affects um, your humility and pride. It affects uh, how you use whatever power you have. It affects everything. But you really can't walk in that unless you're plugged into the scripture to know what God means for you to do in any given moment. But for, for you right now, you just need to know you are so radically freed through Jesus Christ that you can live your life in that mode of what good can I do to glorify God for the good of people. Now, there's one more important nuance to this, and this is what I'll close with. Remember the sermon in, this, in the sentence. You're meant to shine by doing good works that glorify God. And that last part is very important. So one time a smart young Pharisee, religious guy, came up to Jesus and tried to stump him and asked him, what's the most important commandment? If I can only keep one, what is it? And he was hoping to get Jesus to name one and then he would sort of swoop in and be like, aha, what about this one? But Jesus answered very wisely. And this is what he said. This is Matthew 22, starting at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the greatest commandment is to love God. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, everything. That's the main thing. That's the priority. Now I think one of our enemies' most clever strategies is to get us to step over that number one commandment and focus on the number two commandment of loving our neighbor as ourself. And then we love our neighbor as ourself and forget about God. And we start to soothe our own consciences with how much we love our neighbor and what good neighbors we are and how much we give to charities and how much time we serve people in the church. But we've forgotten the main thing, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we do that, it it perverts everything that we're doing for other people. And we can become what the Pharisees became. Now, if you're really, if you're really on the ball, as I'm reading this about being prominent with our good deeds, you might be thinking, well, what about Matthew chapter six? Just a couple of verses over. Well, kudos for you. That's a really good question. Because in Matthew chapter six, Jesus seems to say the exact opposite. So in our passage, he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works. But then over in chapter six, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their own their reward. And then he goes on a little bit later. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
And then he goes on when he talks about fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So on one hand, he's saying, everybody should see your good works. And on the other hand, he's saying, don't do your good works to be seen. Is there a paradox there? Is it just me? I think the key is the difference between doing your good deeds to be seen, period, and doing your good deeds so that others see God's glory. We don't hide the good that we do um, because we're ashamed or because we're fearful. Our fear is that we're glorifying ourselves. But our good deeds should glow so brightly that people can't help but see them. In fact, there's another passage, I should have written it down, but it's coming back to me now, where God, through Paul, writes that you know, good deeds can't even be contained, really. The real, true, pure, good work of Christianity can't be contained. It will come to light. And it glorifies the Father who's in heaven. See, this closes the loop for those of us who might get stuck in just doing good works for the sake of the good works themselves, or even just doing good works for the sake of the people that we're helping. See, that's not even really complete. It's doing good works for the sake of the people we're helping so that they and everybody else will glorify God. That closes the loop. That completes the circuit. That fulfills everything we were created for. See, we were created for grand, glorious purposes. We were made to have communion with God who created everything to honor him, to glorify him in everything that we do. And so often we forget that and we settle for little things down here and we forget the glory that's up there. But you're so freed by Jesus Christ that you can shine by doing genuinely good deeds, selfless, fearless, good deeds, not to be seen, but so that people will glorify the father. So as we head into Halloween this weekend, as you turn on the news and hear the darkness in the world, as you, as you sense the darkness within yourself, the remaining sin that we struggle with, as you encounter the darkness in your family and conversations at work, remember, you were saved for those good works that God had prepared for you in those situations. You were saved so that you could shine and be the light there. It's a glorious calling. And you really are forgiven enough, free enough to do it. That's a really glorious truth. So... Let's all embrace that as we do go into Halloween and into all of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ that we are not still wandering around the darkness, bumping up against the walls of our own sin and our own confusion. Thank you for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Let us live that way now. Let us be the light of the world. In every instance, help us to remember the question, what good can I do? Help us to be so firmly rooted in Jesus Christ that we can live that way. And may your name be honored and glorified through our lives everywhere we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.